Hey folks, a quick tip before we get into the show. If you enjoyed the recent episode with Felipe Turan talking about the use of TEE in the ICU, we have actually a group discount for you you could use to attend the Resus TEE course that Felipe runs. They tour around and do this workshop in different areas. I attended, Brian's attending soon. Really a great one-day course with a ton of hands-on experience. And Felipe agreed to offer you guys 20% for listeners of the show. This is going to be good for the next several classes up until the New York City courses on July 22nd and 23rd. Just enter the code CCSPOD, C-C-S-P-O-D 20, when you go to check out and you'll get your 20%. Uh, don't circulate that code around. It's really just for you guys, but we encourage you to give it a try. Now, time for the show. Hey everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Brian Bowling with you, and with me, as always, is Brandon Odo. <sighs> Hi. <laughs> a little less enthusiasm today, huh? It's been a little, a little bit of a nutty time for... For your your poor hosts here, gentle public, Brian's been, I don't know, it feels like you've been at a conference every week, whereas I in like six weeks am supposed to move into our first house that we're trying to buy, and then like a week after that we're having a baby, and then like a month after that I'm changing jobs. So, you know, great time to record a podcast. Yeah, well, so I thought today, since Brandon is struggling so much with things, We'd keep it light. We're going to do just the two of us, and we're going to talk about something that we do literally all the time because it's the basis of this podcast. We're going to talk about case-based learning and actually how you can do what we do in your everyday practice and training, whether you have formal trainees or just you know the people you work with and helping each other stay sharp. So why don't we start off... Brandon, what, what is the big benefit of case-based learning? Why did we decide to do this thing to begin with? Yeah, good question. I, you know, there are some hot words and kind of terminology things here. All we're talking about is using a clinical case or scenario, sort of vignette or whatever you want to call it as a, a framework as a, a teaching environment to, to convey information. And this could include anything from starting at the high end, you know, traditional simulation, high fidelity sims where you, you work with uh, equipment that simulates patients and it's in specialized labs and it's kind of tries to get as close to reality as possible. Uh, all the way to, you know, this could include the question stem in a standardized test that says, you know, you come across a 20-year-old male who's complaining of chest pain or something like that. These are all kind of case-based. And it's, I mean, this is permeated medical education and probably a lot of education um, pretty thoroughly. So you see this in various manners all over the place. But uh, it's something that I think we both have some interest in, as you said, proven by the fact that we're doing this podcast. The whole premise of this podcast is teaching using cases, um, You know, maybe using an expert to see how they handle the case, uh, in this case, doing it orally. 
But uh, I, I think we have sort of some ideas about how this is done well and some of the different ways you can go about it and pearls and pitfalls and so on. Um, certainly not the only perspective, not even necessarily an expert one. You know, there are people who really study this. It's kind of entered the, the formal world of uh, educational um, theory. And uh, there's people who get like degrees in simulation and all kinds of stuff. So I don't think we're really the right people to... Talked about all that, although I, I feel like you've you might have been exposed to a little more of the the formal theory than I have. Yeah, and fortunately, not being the right people has really never stopped us before. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I like you brought up simulation. So I actually did my doctoral work on simulation training, and uh, and do quite a bit of it with our APP fellows and with our nurse practitioner students at Georgetown. Uh, and it's a big interest of mine. And I think one of the things that people like about simulation is that it really helps to kind of cement that learning. You know, I, I found that when you ha- when you apply what you know, especially the closer to learning it, you apply it, the better it sticks with you. And, you know, it sort of makes it more real, right? That the whole, you know, show me something I'll be like more likely to remember than if you just tell me. Yeah, the um, you know, if we're gonna start by making some broad statements, I think that what you get uniquely, or at least fairly uniquely, out of any of this stuff, and probably the more realistic it gets, the more so, is two things. One is that it gives you um, a little bit of stress. It kind of puts people in the situation in a way that creates more investment and interest than if you were speaking purely hypothetically. Of course, a real patient is the, the best example, but if you get pretty close to that, they, they kind of uh, think about it as if it were a real patient, and it helps engage them and it helps remember. Um, so there's that. The other side is just that by building more context for the underlying teaching points, uh, it enables you to teach things that are kind of subtle and small scale and detail and logistics and kind of workflow based things that you don't usually teach when you're uh, in a purely like didactic context. So this is sometimes called tacit learning. It's things like, uh, you know, the, the core teaching point may be that this patient needs a thrombectomy, but that is surrounded by so many smaller points that you need to understand for real world clinical practice, but that are usually not in like the textbook where it says, you know, the answer is to, to do a thrombectomy. Things like, you know, how do you support the patient in the meantime? Who do you call? What, you know, what do you do in what order? You know, okay, you do X, but you know, like what's the dose? You know, how do you get it done? What do you need to do first? All those kinds of things. In theory, you could teach those, you know, whatever, in bullet points. But in practice, it's hard. There's so many of them. You don't even think about what they are until you sort of need them. Um, so these sort of case-based settings are good for conveying that. And again, it's, as with all teaching, it's trying to get as close as possible to real-world experience. Uh, and the more you can flesh out a, a theoretical, hypothetical scenario, hypothetical world, uh, the more of this you can get across. Yeah, so if you look in the the educational literature with stuff like this, there have been studies that actually show that there is an optimal amount of stress that uh, that enhances learning, right? So you want to you want to engage a little bit of that stress because it will sort of cement that knowledge in um, 
a little bit better than just sitting there passively reading or even just passively watching a, you know, a video lecture or even listening to this podcast, right? Um, that active engagement, that little bit of stress will help cement that, but too much stress and it's harmful for learning. So that's why a lot of that learning literally on the job learning, um, doesn't stick around quite as well as you would hope because the stress levels get too high and you're just get into survival mode. Yeah. In a way, you know, you can, the, this kind of format might get you right into the sweet spot because it has the realism of real life. Uh, so you get those details and you get a little bit of engagement, but it's, uh, it's not a real patient. So they're less likely to be actually panicked and you're less likely to have to, you know, take over and take care of the actual patient. You know, you can let them make mistakes and kill people. Right. I always tell students, you can't kill the simulator, right? That we'll just turn it, reset it, hard reboot, you know? Um, so there's, there's the stress is there, but the stakes are low. Um, and then I like what you said about the practical stuff, because I think we all have that experience, right? Of we learned something in school or we learned something in a, even a postgraduate lecture that then we go to apply and we find out that it doesn't quite get applied that way in real life because there's nuance to stuff. And by doing things like this, these cases, or even at the high fidelity level simulation, you can sort of explore the kind of real world application of what you've learned, you know? Um, and it can really be helpful too. I heard a guy talking about simulation at a conference not long ago said, you know, one of the nice things is you can run through these scenarios, even the, um, even the low fidelity stuff, like just cases and discover holes in your process, right? So as you're working through, how would we do this in real life? You find out that, you know, well, I would need, you know, this piece of equipment, like for a difficult airway or whatever. And you find out that, well, I don't know where it is. Nobody, we can't find it. Right. So we can refine our actual clinical process, you know, at a time that it's not life and death, right? That's not the time you want to discover that nobody knows where the bougie is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think one of the things that we're, we're getting across here is that there's, there's a spectrum of how seriously, how much effort and how much fidelity you put into these things. But at each level, there's utility to it. So, you know, we talked about actual sims coming down from there. It might be like a, a somewhat formal kind of maybe spoken or written case in which, you know, maybe some of the cases on, on this show fall into, and then maybe more informal ones, just maybe like extemporaneous things based around a, a, a teaching moment. You know, you're, you're in the unit with a student or something, they ask a question or you get an abnormal lab or something comes up and then, you know, you, you can sort of get into, you know, you know, what do you do with this? What if that happened? You know, then what do you do? You can kind of, you know, flow from there. And then you can get all the way down to the point where it's not actually nobody working with you. It's all in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just visualize and imagine this, you know, this happens, what would I do? And then, you know, what do I do then? What do I do then? And then the more fidelity you can put into it and imagine yourself not just in a floating in a void, but in your actual unit, in your own skin with your skills, your knowledge and your work setting. All right, you say, you know, I say, I would go and do this. All right. Like you said, where is that? Okay. I call them. Well, who, like, what's the number? Do I know? Oh, I don't know. What would I do? 
I guess I'd call the operator. Man, that would take forever. Maybe I should find that number and so on. And you can, you know, the simpler the process here, yes, the less realistic it is, but the faster you can iterate through it and cycle it to get more and more practice and learn more and more and make changes. Okay, that's what I would do if this test showed up that way. What if it's the other thing? All right, let's go through that and see what I would do. Um, to, you know, where it's just all in your head, you know, you could be laying in bed one night and you're like, gosh, you know, well, you know, let me see if I remember how to do a, a cricothyrotomy or something. And, and you can get more practice that way than you'd ever in a, in a sim lab. Yeah, and you can really be prepared for multiple eventualities that way. I think about, there's a great scene from an episode of the show, The West Wing. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with the show, it's a political drama uh, from Aaron Sorkin from back, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And there's a scene where Glenn Close is playing this uh, federal judge who's up for uh, potentially a Supreme Court seat. And they're asking her, you know, well, how would you, what would you say uh, your position on such and such issue is? And she says, well, it depends on who's asking the question. And she starts naming through it. Like if it's so-and-so, then I would go to this and this and this, and I would do this point and this point, and I would lead you down this path from this step to this step to this step. But if it's this guy, his motivation is something else. And so this is what I would do, blah, blah, blah. And you start to realize like, this is a person who's got a, a brilliant legal mind who has already thought through all 10 different arguments, depending on the, the, the nuances of the situation. And so you can do that, right? You're, you're talking about, you know, doing a cricothyrotomy or doing any kind of emergency procedure. And you can say, well, who's, who's with me, right? If it's this person, I know uh, they're really good with procedures that I don't have to give them any direction, but if it's this person, they've never done this before. I'm going to have to really rely on, uh, I'm going to have to really lean on giving them step-by-step, step, right? And so then when you find yourself in the situation, you're prepared because you've thought it through, not just the textbook way, but 10 different real ways. Yeah, and part of what you're saying is that there's kind of a sweet spot in the level of the person's knowledge or preparedness, at least for a particular type of case. Um, people who are at a pretty high level and should have a good understanding of something, let's say someone who really should be trained on something, and this is, maybe this is more review or you know, trying to find areas of weakness or whatever, maybe an actual test situation, like you're doing oral boards or something, that should be someone where it's just like the old Dungeons and Dragons games. You should be able to sit them down and say, this, this is what happens, what do you do? And then what do you do? Okay, and then what do you do? Like They shouldn't need any uh, prompting or any kind of help because, in, of course, in real life, they wouldn't really have those things. It should be something they can kind of pull out of their hat. If you try to do that with somebody who's kind of an earlier learner, they're going to be drawing a lot of blanks. And then um, you kind of, you're kind of losing some of the context of the case because you're spending more and more time just teaching. So in, you know, in that sort of setting, maybe you do something more focused. Maybe you provide them with more teaching. Certainly um, outside of like formal sims, well, usually teach as you go. So you you, you know you, you come to a teaching point. They have a, a thought, or they're they're kind of struggling. You know, do do a little teaching on that, and then you get to the next thing. If you try to save it all for the end, everyone kind of forgets what the those moments are. Um, the other thing I've sometimes done, um, more for formal sims, but you could do it for anything, is 
when you have fairly unprepared people, or maybe they have some preparedness, but you know, you have some teaching points and you're pretty sure that they're not familiar with them. You know, it's, it's going to be fairly new to them, at least the way you want them to think about it. You can run them through it, uh, pretty unprepared. And then they'll sort of struggle along and basically handle it the way they would have handled the actual situation if it happened that day. But it, uh, it puts them in that stress. It helps them understand the areas of weakness and realize maybe they don't have a, a framework or an approach to this. And then you do some teaching and you say, you know, you know, your thoughts, you know, what do you think? Kind of where are you at with this? And then you, you give them the, the model you want them to have your, your approach to X, Y, Z situation, and then do it again. You know, maybe not the exact same case, but same, same theme, same teaching point. And then they sort of use what you've given them. And I think that's much more likely for them to kind of get the point than if you only did one. Either you you let them struggle and then you teach, but then they don't actually use it until maybe they actually come across that or vice versa. You teach first and then they use it. So it's fresh on their mind, but they weren't really primed for it. They didn't know why they cared yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good point. So I think the other thing to remember is that while we love these scenarios and running through this, the real learning comes in when you talk over, talk it through, right? So when you run like a formal sim, we talk about having this one to five ratio for sim versus debrief, you know? So I'll do a, a scenario with a learner and we'll spend an entire hour in the scenario and the, and the, the whole scenario itself will run maybe 20 minutes um, because it takes that much longer to then talk through. So to explain to me why you thought why you did this, this this way? Why do you made why you made that decision? Um, and talk through those points. And like you said, just sort of reiterating, what would you do different next time? What would you take away from this? Yeah, and you know, we're putting into the verbal context here on on this show. We, if you remember back to the early days, we used to try to to teach at the end and debrief like that. And then I think we found more and more that doing the teaching as you go. Uh, suited a little bit better and it was kind of more on the spot and then sometimes still helpful to kind of do some summing up and conclusions and big picture stuff at the end. But again, all those small details of the tacit learning, um, that stuff that if you don't talk about right then, um, you'll usually forget, or at least you won't remember why you cared. Yeah. I think it I think depends on what your overall goal is. If you're doing something like a high fidelity situation where you're really trying to get, um, realism and environmental fidelity, then you, you can't stop the flow of the thing every couple of minutes to, to teach. But in a situation like this, where you're running through a case where it's really more stepwise, um, I think that makes perfect sense, right? You can say at this point, let's talk about this. And then you go, okay, great. All right. So now then this happens, you know, and you, it's a more of like a choose your own adventure kind of setup. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, other stuff that, um, and this, again, doesn't necessarily apply to every situation and every learning objective, but uh, I think generally suits kind of the cases that I'll do, um, especially in sim. Um, your goal is to let people make mistakes and, you know, kind of find their way about and and not just make mistakes, but learn to sort of live with their mistakes, meaning this is not a, this is not an exam if somebody does something that you don't think is ideal, you talk about it later. 
But if they do that in real life, the game doesn't end. They still they have to deal with it, and that may mean um, dealing with the complications of their mistake or just kind of finding their way in, in that world. Um, not only is it bad for learning if you like if things like stop uh, because you don't get to kind of do more of it. It's also unrealistic because again, in real life, things don't end until they end. So I, I think you you don't end your case until you've reached kind of whatever conclusion you think is appropriate, which should probably be a, a logical conclusion. You know, the people have learned or worked through whatever you wanted them to, or uh, the patient has like died, or people have tried everything that could be tried or whatever. Uh, but you, you, there's, you want to train the idea, and I talked about this in a, a turbo a little while ago, that there's no, um, no one's gonna come and save them, whether that's some help who's more expert or the timer running out, or just kind of throwing up their hands and, and giving up because that's that's not realistic, you know. If, if it's just them and the ICU at 2 a.m. and some weird stuff is happening, they're gonna do something and they'll they'll do the right thing or the wrong thing or whatever. But then they gotta do the next thing and kind of keep doing stuff until they'll know when it's over. You know, somebody will come tap them on the shoulder and say, if, you know, your shift's over. It's time to sign out, or the patient will be declared, or you know, it'll be pretty obvious. You don't win or lose this game. You gotta, you gotta keep playing it. Yeah. Um, you know, other stuff that uh, I think is helpful when you're putting together these cases is, again, a lot of the learning is gonna be as you go, but you should still have some actual objectives, and it doesn't need to be a, a ton of them, but a, a few takeaway points you're hoping people not just understand, but actually remember, and something that kind of becomes part of them. Um, and if you kind of work towards those. And it gives you a context and a kind of a target for how to build the cases. Everything else will will come along the way. You, you kind of have to have both. It's like you, um, you know, you want to spend some time with some friends or something. In a way, the real goal is just to be with them. But you need to have some activity. You can't just be like, oh, we'll just we'll just sit in a room together. Um, <laughs> the, the activity is you're going whatever, the movies or something. You're getting dinner, and that is part of the point. And the rest of the point is just spending time. Um, it's kind of the same thing, you know, there's two or three things you want people to learn here and then they're actually learning a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, if you don't have those, it's kind of learning objectives to use, you know, real formal terminology, then it, it may be fun, right? You may have a, a good time, but have you really learned anything? Have you really accomplished anything? And you got to make sure that that's what you're working towards. Yeah, and again, a lot of the stuff will come along the way, but I think people can also tell when there was no ultimate point to it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, they they may have learned some stuff, but they won't they won't think they did. You're kind of sneaking everything else in there, um, but it's like you know, I don't know. It'd be like if you showed up for a lecture in school, and the the topic of the lecture was like nothing in particular, and you just chatted. You might learn stuff, but people would be like, "Why are we here?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to have a I had a professor in in school, a history professor, and. The TA for that class, I remember said, you know, he's a really brilliant guy, but he's, he's sort of like watching Nova on PBS. You're fascinated for an hour, but at the end of the day, you're really not sure what you learned. Um, you know, and he was, he was a fascinating guy to listen to, but I would walk away going, I didn't write a single note down. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to have taken away from that other than I had a good time and it was interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of said it before, but I, I really do think that there is a, a right amount of learning preparedness for, for a lot of these cases. And often that will mean people doing some preparation ahead of time. Um, 
maybe some sort of reading or maybe you have talked about something, maybe you just saw a case. Um, it kind of kind of chafes me a little when you're doing teaching about something or you know, let's say you admit a patient with some problem, maybe it's not the most common thing or maybe it's just one of the first times your, your learner came across it and you're talking about you know, what would you do and stuff and they kind of have no idea because they've never even given it any thought. Um, that's not really ideal. This should be the opportunity for them to learn by doing and implementing the things they know. Um, it's not, a, it's kind of a waste of time if this is like the time to, to be a textbook or to have a lecture on something, because then they're not really going to implement that knowledge until the next time this happens. So, you know, learners should try to come into these things with at least that, that framework, that textbook knowledge. They should at least be able to say, well, yeah, you know, in massive PE, you, you got to, you know, thrombolysome or, you know, do an interventional procedure or something like that. And, you know, that may be all they know. And there may be so much more to it. And that's what you're going to learn in this setting. But if they don't even have that, then you have to just kind of give them that and then learn to apply it. So, you know, what you do with that may depend on what you're doing. But, you know, if you're, say, you're, you know, you're going to be doing cases on XYZ, you know, maybe there's some pre-reading or something like that. You know, you prep people in some sort of a way so they bring something to the table. Yeah, because if you literally know nothing, right, I mean, how much can you possibly learn when if I give you a scenario that you don't, you don't understand at all, you go, I mean, I don't know, I'm just going to make stuff up and fumble through and then we'll sit down for 45 minutes and you tell me how dumb I was, right? So you, you have to have some basis of understanding, I think. Yeah, in that case, the learning point just becomes like panic, you know, that they were a while right. prepared, which is there is learning there, but it's just one thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of a poor use of time. Yeah. What else? What do you, um, what do you find helpful when you're putting together cases and putting people through these? So one of the things that I think is underappreciated when you put these things together is how much you have to think, you know, I mentioned it's a sort of a choose your own adventure, how much you have to anticipate what people are going to, res- how people are going to respond. Right. I have all the time, a scenario written out where I start putting a student through it and the student does something completely unexpected. And now we're off the script and I don't really necessarily know where to go next. And so there involves a lot of thinking on your feet and that's happened on, on the podcast sometimes too, is, is that, you know, we'll, we'll sort of set up a guest in a place we want them to go and they go a different place. And now I'm like, Oh gosh. So now I'm scrambling to try and figure out, okay, well, how do I adapt to that? Um, and how do I steer them back to where I want them to, to be? And I think that's one of the hardest things about doing this is sort of anticipating the things that people might say and do. Yeah. And like we said, you know, don't say, eh, try again, roll with it. I mean, right. they made a decision. They, they, you know, they should be able to tell you how to go about it. Hey, maybe you'll learn something. Um, but it, it gets harder for you because you had probably something else prepared and you may, you may not even kind of know what to do with the road that they went down. You know, maybe they tell you they want to use a drug you've never heard of or something like that. Right. <laughs> never know with kids these days. People have <laughs> got all kinds of stuff. Right. Well, the other thing I think is, is um, another thing that's difficult is when you're giving out data to someone, whether you're in an actual sim lab or you're just sitting around talking in the unit, if I'm going to throw out data to you, Sometimes I just make up numbers, right? And throw throw things out because it doesn't matter to me. But if you don't know where I'm trying to lead you and I throw out some numbers, you might go, oh God, well, that makes me think of this, which was completely unintended. 
So you have to really be careful when you just make up data points to give people that they're not going to lead someone astray. You know, like, yeah. You know, and that's, I think we've both found is one of the most challenging yeah. parts about putting cases together for the podcast. Cause depending on how kind of deep you get into data, there can be an enormous amount of stuff you need to prepare. And that can be, I mean, boy, you, you think it's hard understanding some of these diseases and things. Imagine trying to like create it and generate all the data points, not just that are directly relevant, but that somebody could ask for, especially when they're still figuring out what is wrong. And then, like you said, trying to make sure they don't clash or anything. So you got to kind of decide how much of this stuff you want to prepare. You know, you're probably going to do more for something more formal like Sims. You may need to even find, you know, imaging you can provide or, I don't know, program your mannequin or, you know, set up ultrasound phantom cases or whatever, you know, stuff for the technology. But at the very least, maybe like, you know, putting together a blood gas because, you know, someone's going to ask for that. You know, the more casual you get, you you may have to take shortcuts, which are okay, I think. And it's, it's things like, you know, what's the blood gas? You know, it's it's normal. Right. You can just <laughs> or, say it doesn't know, matter. It's fine. Yeah, it's, they're yeah. they're hypercarbic or whatever. And I mean, what what you're telling them is that the details beyond that are, are not pertinent. You're sort of just answering their question. Right. Because you will have you will always have the the learner who wants to read too much into stuff. And so if you make up a number, they're gonna go instead of them going, mm, okay, that's fine, they're gonna go you know, well, that's weird. The, you know, to get that pH with that bicarb, the CO2 should be much different. So there must be something else weird going on. Uh, no, it's that I don't have the Henderson, Henderson Hasselbach formula yeah. memorized. Right. And I just, yeah, or, or they do, but it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. They, they have, um, some, you know, tubular problem or something. Yeah. But, and I think sometimes you, you know, you need to have ways and there's this kind of a subtle art of forcing people back the way you want them to go. Um, you know, the game designers call this railroading them. Like you think you're in a, a world full of choice, but in fact, no matter what you do, you end up in the same place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether that means, you know, if they're kind of getting lost in details, you know, using time, which is was realistic, of course. And, you know, they're, they're sitting down, adding up strong ion gaps or something. And you say, all right, now the patient's sat is 40, you know, <laughs> now it's 35. You right. Know? <laughs> um, or, you know, you, you kind of can manipulate the story how you want, not necessarily saying that, you know, something is, is not happening or is not relevant, but saying that something else has, has taken precedence, you know, okay, your, um, your attending comes in and says, Hey, you know, what about that cold foot or something like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I often tell folks that time in the sim lab behaves in an Einsteinian way, not a Newtonian way, right? There's time dilation involved. Things that might take you 30 seconds may take you five minutes because I want you to explain them to me. I want you to think out loud so I know your thought process. And then some stuff you might legitimately say, let's do this and I'll come back in an hour and look, well, we're not going to sit around for an hour. So it's an hour. Go. <laughs> so Yeah. And time is kind of what you want it to be. And I think it can that can mean um, using it like making a point of time sometimes rather than glossing over it. You know, we've all seen the the cooking shows where they, the next step takes an hour and then suddenly it's done because they got to get to things. Yeah, you can do that, but you can also do the opposite. People who are used to thinking through things and skipping over time, maybe it's worth dwelling on it. You know, sometimes yeah. say you're, you're running a cardiac arrest. Um, people may not kind of realize how long it takes to do two minutes of CPR, let's say, or, you know, I don't know how long it 
two minutes of chlorhexidine drying or something like that. And when people don't have a realistic sense of time, they're kind of unprepared in that way. So when they actually come to it, their main kind of moment of sticker shock is like, this isn't flowing how I thought it would. So sometimes right. kind of forcing people to stick with something and, and, you know, and they're kind of looking at you behind the mirror, like, you know, are we, aren't we done here yet? No, <laughs> you got a patient still <laughs> keep working with it. Yeah. Or the, the longest 90 seconds uh, of your life while you're standing at the head of the bed waiting for rock to set in. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, until you do that and you're standing there with the scope in your hand, you don't really realize how long 90 seconds is. You know, I've, um, something that I think is helpful and not in every situation, but depending on how you're doing your teaching is sometimes to have, cause as I said, the more details you can put into cases, probably the better. And one of the limitations to hypothetical cases is that a lot of the, the background context doesn't really exist. Uh, and, but it can pertain to what people do. So, you know, what, for instance, um, where your hospital is, the resources available there, and even what time of day it is or what day of the week can really change a lot of what you do in real life with real patients. And that never really shows up in textbook teaching because how would they incorporate that stuff? Yeah. Um, if you want to have that in, you know, play a role in your case, how do you introduce it? Well, one way that I've done in the past, and I used to do written scenarios on my old website, EMS Basics for pre-hospital people, was I made up a fictional city. So you're, quote, working in a, quote, EMS system, which is not real, but it, it's fleshed out. It's called Scenarioville. You work for Scenarioville EMS, um, and it has real, you know, quote, real hospitals, which all have different levels of capability. It has a real map, which I just took from a, another city's map, and I relabeled things. Um, and you have, you know, a real system that has certain capabilities and so on. So that gives you the opportunity to do more practice than you normally would. So you get like, you got dispatched to a call and then you'd have to listen to the dispatch that would record it. So you have to learn that, how to do that and then find a route on the map, how to get there. Um, and think about as you go, you know, this is what dispatch, you know, what one might be facing, what should we bring in and so on. Um, and then, you know, when you're there, you know, kind of what actual resources you have. You're not thinking like, well, some systems have LMAs and then some you just have to bag people or whatever. You know what you have. You know how much ALS is available and so on. And then you're making transport decisions and you got to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm closer to this hospital, but this could be a stroke. And I, I know that they're not, you know, a, a stroke center. Maybe we go to the other one, that kind of thing. Um, that's something that is helpful if you can build that background. Uh, obviously only useful in certain situations, probably most of the time in kind of hospital-based teaching, um, you use your own hospital, right? That's the appropriate relevant context. Of course, if you're teaching, you know, house staff or students who are not necessarily going to be working there, uh, or you're in a pure classroom setting where there kind of is no hospital, then maybe it's helpful to make something up. You know, you, you give people that context if that's the level you want them to be thinking on. Yeah, I think that's good. And I'll, I'll try to incorporate that too. Sometimes I'll say, you know, the, especially students want to consult somebody, right? So, uh, I'll pick, you know, one of the cardiologists and sort of emulate what I think he or she would do versus a different one, um, to add some sort of not only realism, but also maybe steer the case, right? If I'm, if I'm wanting them to keep going with what they're doing, uh, then I'll say, you know, uh, well, you, you consult surgery and they're scrubbed in in a case and they're unavailable right now. So 
sorry, you're going to keep going. Right. Um, or if I feel like we're at a point where this is a good point to end the scenario, then, uh, you know, suddenly the cardiology service becomes super helpful and not only are they going to come see your patient, but they're going to take them on their service and that's ends the scenario, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, what else? You know, sometimes I, I find the, the best, uh, applications for kind of verbal scenarios are when people understand sort of the principles of something, but there is a lot of uh, individual variables or breakpoints in the actual application of it that just need practice. So there's one situation, but there's like four or five ways that it can go, and people just need to kind of crank through those. So you may be um, interpreting a PA catheter, you know, people are learning to use swans and look at all these numbers. First, they should learn what these things mean, right? And kind of the, in principle. But when it comes to actually using them, it's kind of daunting. You stand in the door of the room and there's all these numbers and you just need like an approach to it. Great time to practice, you know, and a good example of kind of semi-realistic cases, you know, you just need a piece of paper or a whiteboard or something where you can jot down the numbers. Uh, but you go, okay, you're dealing with this patient, you know, they're whatever, they're hypertensive. These are the numbers, what are you thinking? And then you then, okay, well, this changes. And then now these are the numbers. And you can kind of quickly crank through situations of whatever, hypovolemia, uh, tamponade, you know, vasodilation or whatever, and give people a framework to think about, you know, all right, these are like my filling pressures, you know, this represents, you know, cardiac output, whatever. Um, and it doesn't take long at all, but you wouldn't be able to do that without their realistic examples. Even saying, you know, oh, this is high, low, normal is not the same as just giving people numbers and making them think through what's high and what's normal and how do I fit together these different figures. Right. And I think, um, you know, the nice thing talking about specifics like that about these scenarios is that you can pull in multiple, multiple data points, right? So I do a, I do a lecture for our Georgetown students on um, point of care ultrasound case studies and Turns out when I've got them all developed, the ultrasound aspect of it is actually pretty little. Um, they have to interpret ABGs. They have to look at uh, some chest X-rays. They have to kind of take the the store the nuts and bolts of the story, and then I throw in an ultrasound image, and it's just one more piece of the puzzle. And so I think doing these scenarios allows you to sort of pull in multiple media, multiple sources of input and really think through things in a much more realistic way than just look at this and interpret this would. Yeah. Do you like to have, say you have, you have a group of people. Do you like to have like some people observe while somebody is going through a case or do you find that there, there can be too much observation <laughs> makes it too stressful or is it a waste of their time or so it sort of depends. I'll do these lectures where we'll just do a whole big room and I'll just have people shout out, you know, answers to stuff. Um, but when we do the actual training, like in the sim lab, uh, yeah, I have like one person who does it and then other people play different roles. And usually I like to have one person whose whole job is to sit back and just watch. Um, that's it. They don't interact with the scenario at all. And I find that they're a really good source of information afterwards because, you know, the people that are involved playing different roles, even me kind of running the thing, we're all doing multiple things. And if you've got somebody who's just taking it in, they sometimes catch a lot of stuff that uh, 
that everybody else missed. And they can say, you know, I noticed that when you did this, you did this really well, or you missed this when you were doing your exam or, you know, whatever. Have you thought about, would you, have you thought about doing this, using this drug instead of that drug? Um, yeah. So, yeah. They're probably looking at stuff that, you know, different from what you yeah. are. No, I agree. When you're doing, you know, actual Sims, it's nice to have one person in the hot seat and a few supporting players because it makes it more realistic. You always have a team in real life. It teaches people how to maybe do some of those more delegated skills. Sometimes it could even be an opportunity for people to practice like procedures or something mm -hmm. if you have the set up for that. Um, and it can be a good practice for the the team leader to learn to, to delegate. Yeah. You know, whatever is appropriate doing that. Um, when you're doing more kind of verbal cases, one person has not much help to have observers, but you can have two or three people and you can kind of, you know, take turns, you know, each question to the, to the next person. I think everyone still kind of feels like they're in it then. Yeah. A bigger group than that. And it starts to get a little diffused, I think. Yeah. Again, it depends on the level of formality. If you're just, if there's three or four of you sitting around in the unit, just talking, then I think, yeah, go around the table and you know, okay, what do you think about this? Now the next question goes to you. What do you think? Um, how would you do this? And not necessarily, you know, not necessarily ask the same question to everybody and get them to all weigh in on their choice, but just sort of take turns going around and just discuss things um, versus feeling like one person is on the hot seat while everybody else is watching them. Yeah, yeah. But if you have like two or three people, I, I, I think they still kind of feel like they're in the case. Yeah. Whereas if it's like 10 people, it's not so much a case. It's more just kind of, um, you know, like Socratic method kind of stuff. Right, you know, you're just right. Just having discussion. It's like diffusion of responsibility. No one feels like it's their problem, really. They're just chatting about it. Yeah, and that's what that, that big lecture that I mentioned, the uh, POCUS case studies that I do, uh, tends to become, right? It tends to become a handful of students who are the kind of vocal strong personalities that answer all the questions and everybody else just sort of takes it in. And and that's probably fine. Well, it's, it, it illustrates something useful, which is the, what happens in real life. If you've got a room full of people at an emergency, you know, rapid response or a code or some crashing patient or something, if no one's in charge, you end up with a few people who are louder than everyone else. No one else really feels like this is their problem because you've got this room full of people. Somebody must be dealing with it. And then no one's in charge. So it's, it's sort of an interesting analog. Yeah, yeah. All right, Brian, what else should we say about this? I think it's a great method of teaching, and it can be as involved and detailed or as not as you want to make it, right? We've sort of run the gamut from real casual, hey, let's talk about this fictional scenario I just made up, to maybe, you know, a, a version of debriefing after an event, right? You just had a... You just intubated a patient in the ICU. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what went well and what you might done, have done different if the situation was different. All the way up to like real formal training in a sim lab. And I think that so that's one of the things that makes this great is that it's really accessible to people at all levels. You don't have to have a multi-million dollar facility to do this. Uh, you just have to have some creativity and some time to sit down and talk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, I think the 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 takeaways are very flexible format. You got to kind of target it to what you want to get out of it. Not always as easy as it sounds, and you need you need to have a pretty strong understanding of of what you're trying to teach. Probably stronger than if you were giving more traditional lecture or something, because you you need to have the ability to be flexible. Um, great way of kind of communicating application and 
real world skills short of actually doing things in the real world, but much more in depth than just kind of getting it out of a book. Um, and just kind of a cool modality that I think has grown in, in recent years. So hopefully in the future, when you're tuning into the show, you can give some thought to the the, the techniques that were, are being used, not to say that we're particularly good at them, but we try. And maybe you can not just use some of the clinical content, but some of the, the teaching methodologies as well. So uh, I think that's pretty much all we've got for this one. So thanks for joining us. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs>